0: Welcome to U Turn, conversations with interesting people who were on one career path but ended up somewhere entirely different. I'm your host, Eric Jorgensen, and this episode I am talking with David Sparks. If you consider yourself to be a part of the Apple community, you've probably heard of David through his work on the Relay FM podcast Mac Power Users he does with Katie Floyd. Since 2009 and over the course of more than 300 episodes by my count, David and Katie have shared tips on getting the most out of Apple technology. David also writes regularly on his site macsparky.com. But believe it or not, talking and writing about Apple technology isn't David's day job. For over 20 years, he has been a practicing attorney. In 2015, after two decades with the same law firm, he decided to go indie, as we often say in the tech community, and he created his own one-man firm called Sparks Law. So thanks for taking the time to talk to me tonight, David.
1: Thanks, Eric. It's my pleasure.
0: So I've been starting off with every guest so far, and I think it's been awesome because we learned a lot of interesting things by asking, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I I grew up in Ontario, California, which is um, a suburb Um about 30, 40 miles east of Los Angeles. Um, now it's called the Inland Empire, although I'm not sure it's an empire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a, it's a nice little community. I mean, it's not, um, it has its problems. But, you know, it was a great place to grow up. And my, my dad uh, was kind of a self-made man. He, um, he got started uh, loading lumber off truck and then he was selling it, you know, for like construction projects. And uh, that's what he did. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom.
0: Okay, and your dad did that his entire working life
1: basically, yeah i mean he uh, he uh, was out there hustling I, you know he was a he was a labor turned salesman and
0: that makes sense. Do you feel like you absorbed uh, your attitudes about work at all from him and what you saw him doing
1: I, I think so. Uh, my parents were very uh, they set really great examples and they were very ethical, like when I told them I wanted to go to law school their their biggest concern was. Well, can you do that and be an ethical person? They were really genuinely concerned about it. And, and it was a great, for me, it was like, because, you know, you're a kid, you're like, oh, I want to go to law school. And you think your parents are going to be jumping up and down. <laughs> um, but the, uh, you know, another like, hey, you know, be careful. That's a dangerous job to get into. And I thought it was even to this day, I still think about that when I'm making decisions.
0: Really? I guess that is interesting, because I agree that that along with being a doctor tends to be kind of the uh, prototypical American dream type of career. Um, But actually, I I had a similar situation that I'll just briefly diverge, because I think it's relevant to the conversation that my grandfather is an attorney, but he never really practiced much. And I had planned on going to law school. And I told him that, boy, this would have been, I don't like, 12 years ago or something and he actually got pretty upset about it and didn't think it was a worthy career to pursue and it kind of made me change my mind a little bit for right or wrong and I feel like it ended up okay for me but it's really interesting that that you got that warning so what were your interests in school as you were growing up then did you know that you wanted to
1: get into law or was it kind of something you came to later I fell into it entirely I I mean growing up I wanted to be a jazz musician (laughs) that was my thing you know I I played saxophone and piano, and I was in honor bands, and I went out and worked in L.A. in studios for a while, and that was my thing. And uh, I met one of my heroes. Uh, Bud Shank was one of the, the alto players that was kind of a thing in the 50s West Coast jazz movement, and I got a couple of gigs with him. And, and I was very young. I was like 18, 19, and he said, hey, uh, you could probably make a living at this. But he said, just if this is something, you know, he says, but music is a career that you do, If you can't think of anything else you would do, but if you can think of anything else you'd rather do, then you should do that. (laughs) So I was was really kind of so I fell out of that, and I thought, well, maybe I'll be an engineer. So I started out in aerospace engineering, and and all my um, all my friends that talked to me about being an engineer said, oh, engineers are so inarticulate. You should work on speaking because if you're a good speaker and you're an engineer, you'll go places. So I joined the debate team in college, and I just started cleaning up in the debate circuit, and just kind of fell into the idea of law school. It was never a big plan for me.
0: Huh. That is really interesting. And yeah. where did you go to college?
1: Cal Poly Pomona, which is, you know, a state school in California. It's not a super great school. Um, I, you know, like even that decision was, kind of fell into it. You know, I was playing a gig and somebody said, hey, are you, are you playing for college? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I will. And they're like, well, you know, tomorrow's the deadline. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Cal Poly Pomona was, you know, about... 15 miles from my house. I'm like, okay, I'll go there. That's, that's how I applied. Um, it, it's interesting that people often
0: associate being articulate and being a good debater with being an attorney. And I'm trying to figure out where does that come from? Is that just the idea that People think that most attorneys are litigators. Is that kind of what it I is? Guess. Even though it's not true at all.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how. Uh, I didn't even know what a lawyer did when I decided I want to go to law school. You know, it it, it really is. I, mean, I guess the lesson from this is bumble your way through life. But the uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I I took it serious then. I, I I I had very good grades in college, and I had very good high scores in the LSAT, but I didn't have any money. So uh, I was looking for places that would give me scholarships and. Uh, Pepperdine University out here in California gave me a, a nice scholarship. And I'm like, okay. So I went off to Pepperdine and became a lawyer.
0: Uh, at what point in your undergraduate uh, career did you decide to go to, to law school? Uh, was it more your sophomore year or your junior year?
1: Yeah, it was about, I think it was sophomore year.
0: So did have, you start buckling down at all with classes or
1: or anything else that you needed felt like you needed to do to prepare I, for law school? I was always a pretty good student about buckling down. I, I've been one of those people. I you know, I'm, I'm self-aware... You know, I'm not very smart and I'm self-aware of that, you know? And um, so I, even when I was in school, like high school and middle school, I always knew that I had to work really hard to make things happen. So I think that really kind of explains the whole, whole Max Sparky phenomena is that uh, for, since a, a very early age, I've always been like looking for hacks and ways to get better at stuff, knowing that I have limited bandwidth, <laughs> You know, I guess. So um, so I was always doing that. And when I decided I wanted to go to law school, I, I attacked it like a problem, figured out the classes, and, um, and you know, went from there. I, I guess I just kind of, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't give it, I, I you know, I didn't just kind of bumble through that part, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I studied hard and, and went and picked the right school for me.
0: Okay. And did you figure out what type of attorney you wanted to be? <laughs> like, when did that start becoming clear? Because it's my understanding that usually there's are core curriculum classes that most law students take, you know, constitutional law and other things like that. But then eventually you start specializing. Uh, when did that happen for you?
1: Yeah. I, you know, like I said, I came from my dad loaded lumber on trucks. I didn't know anything about being a lawyer. And so I just kind of went into it. I always thought I wanted to be like a prosecutor or a defense attorney and argue cases in court. And, I uh, had no interest in business law. Then I, I did a summer with the uh, prosecutor's office slash defense office, and you know, they would kind of rotate you between them. And I saw what a mess the criminal justice system is and decided, no, I don't think I want any part of this. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of fell into, when I got out of law school, a small business law firm, and and that was kind of the road I ended up taking. But, I mean, throughout this whole process, I was this huge nerd that was something that was always common to the you know to me which a total side note but back to
0: the music thing if people are interested in music at all your episode of inquisitive is fantastic where you talk about kind of blue. So oh, yeah. people people should check that out if they're interested in jazz and interested in hearing you talk more about that. But that's just a digression. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was very yeah. good and, and some of the best
1: editing of any podcast I've ever been on. So it's it totally
0: is cool. it's a great show. People should check that one out. So you figure out that business law is something that, that is actually interesting to you. Um, where do
1: you what type
0: of firm do you start working in then when you graduate?
1: Yeah well when I was in law school I did an externship with a federal judge. So that gave me bigger opportunities and i did pretty good in grades in law school and so i was looking at you know like los angeles you know big firm jobs and and every time i'd go to do the interview with them they would give me um i would ask you know they would ask me you know tell me what they expected blah 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 and i'd always ask at the end of the interview like what is it that you want from me you know what is it that you expect and and they they always would say some integer followed by the word hours you know <laughs> and so at least in the early 90s when you're getting a job at a law school everybody wanted you to work 1800 hours or bill 1800 hours or 2000 hours or 1500 it was some number right and that's how that whole game works you know get them to bill a lot of hours and charge a bunch and keep the you know pay for the fancy rent and none of that really appealed to me by then i had kind of been through uh, you know, I cranked through undergrad, cranked through law school, and I was thinking, I don't want to be one of these treadmill lawyers. And um, there was a small firm down in Irvine, which is in Orange County, if you're not familiar with Southern California. And I had work, done some work for these guys while I was in law school, like research and stuff. And they said, you know, we could hire you. We probably can't pay as much, but, you know, you know, and I said, well, what would you expect of me? And they said, well, we would expect you to win. And that was it for me. I'm like, okay, I'm in. So, so I took a job with a small firm, tried my first case, something like a month after I got sworn in. Opposing counsel called me and said he looked up my bar number, but I didn't have one yet. You know, <laughs> that was, uh, that was the, the, my gateway drug into practicing law.
0: So how did you realize, being a pretty young kid still, I would say, because I assume you were in your mid-20s at least, how did you realize that you didn't want to get on that treadmill, that so many fresh out of law school law students end up getting on?
1: I just, I'm no good at it. You know, the, the politics and all that stuff, I'm terrible at that stuff. And like I did one summer in a medium-sized firm, you know, while I was during law school And it's like, what secretary is sleeping with what attorney? And what, you know, what person do you have to suck up to? And I'm like, boy, I suck at this. You know, I was just terrible at it. And, and I thought, you know, I just don't want to make, I just don't want to do this. I wasn't even sure I wanted to be a lawyer after I spent a summer doing that.
0: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What helped you not get so discouraged then? Because that would be pretty discouraging to me if I'm in the middle of law school and I do this summer internship and, It's just awful, and it's not at all what I want
1: out of my life. Like, how did you handle that? Um, you know, uh, grit. I just said, just you've gone, you've gone this far, dude. You know, and you can do a lot of things with a law degree. You know, like you said, your grandfather never practiced. I mean, I knew that there were the options if I had to. That's good that you knew that. I I could
0: see some people maybe not really thinking about it as much and getting really discouraged, but it's good that you did.
1: So, was the firm that you ended up with? Is that the one that you were with for your uh, career? Okay, it's it's a small firm. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to oversell myself here. I wasn't in one of these big massive firms. I've always been a small firm guy, and that's because that's the most I could take. <laughs> yeah, you know? sure. So what was this firm's niche? Like where where did they fit in the marketplace uh, of law firms? Like, business lawyers is really what they did, and they represented a lot of companies, mainly litigation. I mean, one of the things about the law gig is there's, you know, I tell my clients when you get in litigation, it's like bonfires of $100 bills. It's just <laughs> ridiculous amounts. If anybody listening to this is considering suing somebody or getting sued, please do everything you can not to go there because it is it, the only people that make money are the lawyers usually. <laughs> um but there was a lot of litigations and I wanted to try cases and they said, "Okay, you know, we'll put you in a gun and fire you into the enemy territory and you can go try cases." I was trying cases like crazy when I first got started. So it was it was really a good fit for me, and they were good people. I learned a lot about the practice of law from some really smart people.
0: Were you interested? I guess over twenty some years, uh, were you interested at all in in becoming a partner? Um, like, how did you see your career track growing for a pretty small firm, which I know can be tough? You know, to sm- any type of small company.
1: Yeah, it was kind of weird. They didn't. You know, like big firms have a definite track, like you're on a seven year or eight year track or something. And this firm really wasn't built that way. And at the same time, I had other interests. Like I really wanted, one of my goals when I started out was that my gravestone doesn't say here lies a good lawyer. I wanted it to say here lies a good father, or a good husband. I mean, there's other things that are more important to me. And um, for most of my career, I kind of went autopilot. I was the guy that you would pull out when there's a problem to solve it. But I wasn't the guy who really raised a bunch of fuss about this or that, or trying to get, you know, partnership or, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. I wanted the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And, um, you know, I got paid a pretty good salary to do that. And, you know, we had some discussions about partnership, but I, I never was really willing to, to go in on it, I guess. It wasn't really the people I worked with are great people. I mean, you know, I, I know some people that come on and talk about their U-turn are, well, I had to get out of my old place, it was terrible. No, this is really a, a great it's it's almost that that's what makes it hard is when you're at a place that you're generally happy at, you know, but maybe it's not the best thing for you anyway.
0: No, totally. I I totally understand that. I've worked for a couple of really small companies and it gets to a point sometimes where you have to make that decision. I want to go a certain place in my career and in a small company, you don't always have that opportunity. So I totally understand what you're saying. And so when did the kernel of the idea start in your head that you would maybe want to go out and do your own thing?
1: I honestly don't know. I mean, I think probably a lot longer before I acknowledged it. I I know that in the last year or so I would catch myself waking up in the morning and saying, today's the day David quit his job. I would just like say that out to myself. Like, like I was trying it on like a jacket, <laughs> you know? Sure. And, um, and you know, honestly, part of it was I didn't really have the ability to, I mean, you can't just, you know, when you've got a salary and a family, it's, you, it's, it's very difficult. I know everybody says this, but I mean, it, it is really hard. You're the breadwinner. If you're, well, you, have, you have a wife, right? And a couple of kids, yeah, I think. Yeah, I have a wife and two kids. So. And one of them is in college now. I mean, it's like, you, do you really want to turn your world upside down at this point? You know? And, and, um, so it's hard. I mean, to me, the liberation was a combination of a couple things of me, uh, number one, realizing that I had built up enough of my own clients over the years that I would, if I did leave, I'd have at least a basis for it. And, um, and, and the success of Max Markey, frankly, in addition to the um, the podcast and, po- and the blog, I also write these books. And now, so now I have, it's not super huge, but it is some passive income coming in uh, because I sell books and it's nice. When you get sick, sometimes you make a few bucks, even if you're in bed sick. That's a nice thing. That's a good feeling. So I thought, you know, if I put them both together, I'm probably not going to do that well. I mean, I'm not going to probably do as well as I was doing with the firm, you know, but I think I got to do it. And if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. And so when I finally acknowledged the idea, it took me like a month or two after I acknowledged it that it went into, it happened.
0: What did your wife say when you first brought this up to her? Was she surprised or did she kind of know that this was something that was coming?
1: She knew it before I did. (laughs) Of course, of course. And, And honestly, she, that is, I am so thankful for her because she's like, that's, you know, whatever, man, we will do this. And like, I was thinking, I started looking at the math, you know, like the, one of my benefits at the firm was health insurance. And I started looking and to get health insurance for my whole family is $1,500 a month. And I'm like, wow. So I got to make an extra $1,500 a month to pay insurance. And my wife is a, uh, I guess she worked at Disneyland for many years. So she could, you know, she said, you know what, if you can't find the money effort, I'll go back to Disneyland and uh, we'll get benefits. You know, it's just like, <laughs> She any problem I could think of, she would have an answer for, and that really helped.
0: Oh, that's great! I think one thing I've I've realized in multiple conversations with people on this show is that a consistent partner has been there almost every time. That there's somebody who is providing that support and kind of the maybe even a little kick in the pants, like stop finding excuses not to do this. We will make this work,
1: and that that's pretty incredible to me. Yeah, and that was really hard. I mean, I, I wrote about this. I did a blog post when I left. The firm. And and I I think one of the things that has always hung me up is my parents um, were great parents. Like I said, great work ethic. They taught me so much. They were also Depression era kids. I mean, my my mother, um, during the Depression in Massachusetts, they didn't have any money. My grandfather lost his job and they literally moved into the backwoods of Massachusetts. And they found an abandoned cabin and my grandfather would trap like fox and like skin them. That was how they got through the depression. You know? <laughs> it's just these crayons. Know, my father was saying he was from Missouri where they they didn't have anything. And and so they always were always hammering into you. Don't spend money. Get a good job. Be solid. You know, you know keep a good job. You know, it's just the whole idea of you know saying you know no to a six figure salary to go out and try and do something yourself to them what i don't think it would have been conceivable to them
0: that must have been so
1: baked into your identity then growing yeah. up with parents like that yeah and it was that's made it really hard that's one of the things that made me a great employee and that's one of the things that made it really hard for me to for for me to you know cut myself loose
0: how did you argue with that voice of your parents in your head or how did you break past that and and see it? This is a different era, you know something you could actually make successful, or maybe you 'd be more free to do other things or whatever like what was it that that got you past it
1: the um uh, it was a case we had a, there was a case in the office that got assigned to me didn 't start out mine but it ended up my case and it became all consuming for like three or four months and um And as a result, I was looking at when I got through, and things, I I got a good result in it, and everybody's happy. But I looked at, in those three or four months, the clients that would have been loyal to me um, were all ignored, so they weren't treated well. And I didn't get any books written, and I just had to stop and look at myself for a minute and say, look, uh, these people are really nice, they're giving you a good job, they're paying you well, but in exchange for that, they need your loyalty to do whatever problem they need solved. But I only got one shot at this. And there are some other things I want to make sure happen. And I wanted to do those so badly that that's what got me through it. It's like, okay, if I don't do this, I will regret it forever. And in fact, the people that I, when I I told them I was quitting, they uh, were genuinely concerned for me. You know, they said, look, I'm looking at the clients you're going to take with you. You're not going to make that much money. You know, how are you going to do this? I'm worried for you, you know. And I said, you know, I'll make it work, and I, 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 saw, I said, you know, I just feel like if I don't do it, I'll always regret it. And that's when they said, oh, "Okay, well, if that's the case, then you need to do it." You know, and and that was kind of the end of the conversation. So um, I was very lucky. I had supportive people at home, even at work, when I was, you know,
0: taking their it, clients.
1: The <laughs> well, not really, because they were my clients. Sure. Yeah, I, I get it. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, the ones <laughs> I took probably aren't the ones that they wanted. <laughs> so it works out for both sides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: So you mentioned that this is something you'd always regret if you didn't do. So I think that actually fits in with what I mentioned earlier, which is the two prototypical careers people often mention, doctor and lawyer, American dream, whatever. But the third, if there is a third, I think is entrepreneur, like the idea of starting your own business. I I think that's definitely firmly embedded in the American ethos. So what was it about being on your own that was appealing to you kind of in the back of your mind like that, that made you realize that you'd regret it? Like just, just trying to build something on your own and stand on your own two feet, or is it something else?
1: It actually, Eric, is more to me about the Max Barkey content. I want There's books I want to write. There's videos I want to produce. There's stuff I want to do. I love making stuff for Max Barkey. And I, I don't love it so much that I want to stop being a lawyer, but I love it so much that I want to do more of it. And there's just no way you can do that when you're committed at a firm. Sure. So I, I wanted to rebalance my life uh, to get a little bit less law and a little bit more time for the other stuff and not constantly feel like I was underwater. Because the way I was doing it before was I was carrying a full-time job and every you know weekend night and weekend and whenever I had free time, I'm trying to write a book or produce a podcast. And it just felt like it was all going way too fast. And I wanted to uh, figure that out. And so that was, that was really the goal, more than uh, saying I want to be this big entrepreneurial and a lawyer. That being said, it's been really fun being an entrepreneurial lawyer because I have, you know, I don't have a minimum billable hour, you know, uh, requirement. And I'm doing law in a way that makes it more fun for me than it's ever been before. I mean, my clients and I, we do a lot of like flat fee stuff so they don't have to look at their watch when they're on the phone with me. And I can take what cases I want and turn down the cases that I don't want because I don't have a massive overhead and a bunch of mouths to feed you know, you know, in terms of employees and it really makes, it, it, it has improved everything.
0: Wow. you I feel like you're extremely fortunate or maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit that you're actually just really smart because these things that you want to do with your time also happen to be revenue generating. So yeah, that's true. It's easy to justify maybe spending time on that because it actually does still bring in money. And on top of it, there are things you really like to do. So you are pretty much in an ideal situation, uh, (laughs) from what I can tell. I mean, not saying there aren't, of course, tough days or whatever, but um, does your family perceive a difference in you now that you've done this?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, it's like I, um, yeah, somebody recently told me, they said that, um, uh, somebody who knows me well says, I think you've added 10 years to your life with this, you know, (laughs) And, and I think you may be right, you know. And, and again, I don't want this to come across as a knock against the old people. It's not, oh, no, it's, no, not at all. About, it's really just about that I needed to readjust the way I did things. And I'm so fortunate because I have two careers. And both of them are very solo-friendly careers. I mean, there's not many jobs like a... A lawyer, like kind of to cut to the chase, my law practice has gone, has really shifted from I used to be a trial lawyer and now I'm largely a transactional lawyer. I take care of people's companies and their contracts and those problems. That stuff is totally uh, amenable to working from home, for instance. You know, I'll sit out in the patio and write a contract. I can do that. There's not a lot of careers where you can do that and make money, and I can. And then I make books and videos, and I can do that at home. So I, I, I'm able to work from home a lot and um, spend more time with my wife. I mean, it's just so nice.
0: So what did this look like when you first got started to maybe shift back in time a little bit? Because you did this uh, in early 2015, I believe. Yeah. And so did you get office space right away? Did you start by working from home? What did your new practice, Sparks Law, look like when
1: you when you quit your job well, I always, I mean, for years, I've been, I've been an attorney 23 years now. And, you know, I talk to people about making new businesses all the time. And, you know, I have like standard advice I give. One of them is never spend a penny. You don't need to when you're starting a new business. You know, whenever you say, oh, we're starting a new business, we're going to take out a big loan and buy all new computers and buy all, you know, don't do that. You know, just get what you absolutely need to get the thing started and treat it like a startup, you know. And um, so I had to take my own advice. And I, I got a, um, shared space, you know, where you you pay, I basically pay a hundred bucks a month and they get mail for me. And if I want, I can rent a conference room or an office when I need it. And because I knew that I'll be doing a lot of transactional, I, I drive to a lot of my clients' offices and meet them there and they, they really love it. You know, the lawyer that does house calls. So I, I went into this thing, very low budget. You know, I, I, I bought, you know, the best possible malpractice insurance policy.
0: <laughs> Probably and, a good idea,
1: you know. And uh, like, there's there's certain things I did spend money on. Like, I I signed up for a Ruby receptionist account because every time I call a lawyer and they've got some like Google, you know, goofy Google answering machine going, it's it just seems kind of bush league to me. And I want when people call my office number that a human picks up the phone and is friendly. So I spend a good amount of money every month on that. You know, but I I picked my battles. But overall, um, where in your grandfather's time starting a new law practice would have taken like, I don't know, $50,000 or something, you can do it now on a shoestring.
0: It's funny you say $50,000 because he actually ended up starting a printing company at one point and it cost $50,000 for him to buy it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> he bought an existing one just back in 1967. But yeah, it was uh, a totally different time. And like you said, just capital costs and everything you kind of needed to do to be a real business doesn't really apply in 2015 and 2016 because you can do so many more things with technology and, and yeah. other things like that. So you did it on the cheap at first, and you you focused on on not spending money where you shouldn't, which makes sense to me. Do you think that you were in a good position um, as well because of your expertise in business law, just that you had enough of an idea of how businesses are run and get started
1: that starting your own business wasn't a challenge for you uh it re- largely wasn't although I did a terrible job about estimating how long it would take to get um systems in place you know i'm I'm a nerd, right I use computers every day to make them dance for me. And I was thinking, oh, I'll just push a few buttons and invoicing will be no problem. And it took me, you know, it took me a while to get all that stuff sorted out about what's the best solutions and workflows.
0: Yeah, how did you but, figure that out? Did you have to look up other resources? Did you look online, like how do attorneys do this, or do you just kind of do it by trial and error?
1: Uh, a little of both. I, I speak every year at the American Bar Association. They have this thing called the Tech Show, where they um, it's like a collection of legal nerds, and I give advice on you know how to make a good presentation and some things like that. So um, I'm friends with a lot of the faculty members, and you know they a lot of them are people who consult with people to do this stuff. So I I, I pulled you know my Panel of experts. That's how I found Ruby receptionist actually, uh, but the um, but I also did some trial and error, and yeah, it, it just always takes a little bit longer to get something like this off the ground than you think.
0: Oh, for sure. Were you able to keep most of the clients that you thought that you'd be able to bring into this new business?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was no problem. And I'll tell you one thing, another like uh, blessing I didn't expect is I um you know i put the word out on kind of the max sparky side of my life that's hey i quit my job and kind of the reason i did it was cuz i knew i'd be writing about some of that stuff and those workflows and i want people to know and and just to understand if i'm hopefully putting out more content the reason why is because i'm giving up income on the other side you know to do it but what I didn't realize is there's a bunch of people that read my books that also need a lawyer. So, <laughs> so I was able to really you know, um, leverage that into quite a few new, uh, really great clients on kind of the transactional law side. So it, it all kind of worked together. So I was very lucky that way.
0: You seem to be a poster child for this modern era of, call it internet fame, call it whatever, but just that there's something to be said for leveraging the audience that you have to make your business
1: work. And it's Yeah. Just, I'm very conscious of, I don't want to be like constantly going to the well and asking them for things. I don't want to be that guy. No, know, but like, people
0: need a lawyer and you seem like a nice guy and somebody they can trust. And I, I got to tell you, I'd rather contact you than some random guy in the yellow pages, which not that I have a copy of the yellow pages, but if I did, I, or I wouldn't Google it. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. And I feel like a lot of people who are more in the tech scene feel that way. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And I've heard that from clients saying, look, you've been in my ear for five years. I have listened to you. I know who you are. So that's a great way to start a relationship. Yeah, it just, it, that was very good. I mean, I, I still made mistakes, obviously, but you know, it's, it's tough when you're trying to do all this at once. I mean, one of the weird things about my U-turn is not only did I change the way I practice law, but I'm also doing a whole separate career at the same time. I didn't pick one, which, which is arguably the mistake, right? You're supposed to pick one. I didn't. And I, even if I was wildly successful with Max Barkey, I'm not sure I'd ever stop being a lawyer. That's part of my identity. That's part of what I like helping people.
0: Yeah. Well, I've definitely heard that it's a mistake not to focus. But you seem to be a little bit like me in that you're kind of a a renaissance person. Maybe call it, and just that you have a lot of different interests and things that you like to spend time on. And if you have that, why would you want to give any of those things up? I mean, it seems it makes sense to me. But I mean, I guess the argument could be: Could you make more money as an attorney if you just? we an attorney all day, every day. Maybe, probably, I don't know. But would you be happy? And would you have that balance yeah. you wanted?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, you could almost argue that the other way too. Would I make more money if I just did Max Sparky books? I don't know. Maybe. I guess if I had one that like really took off. Um, but you know, a lawyer, you're you make money basically using your time, and you only have so much time. So it's you, you know, you're not going to get super rich doing that. Whereas. You know, if you have, you know, if you J.K. Rowling, you write one book and you do pretty good. <laughs> yes, um,
0: definitely. But then you can never do anything else again because people will always want you to keep doing yeah. that same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, so I, I, I feel like I want to do a little bit of both. I, I, one mistake I made was when I first left. I was, I was really worried about paying the rent. You know, I mean, you just don't know. You know, if you're going to have enough work keep busy and keep the kids in college and do all this other stuff. So I took some litigation work, you know, uh, which is, you know, trial work, which I'm very good at and done for years where uh, now the transactional practice has grown that it is quite a burden now to do both of them. So I'm doing a lot more legal than frankly I, I intended to. And um, so that's something I'm struggling with as I go forward. I'm like, so what's the path forward? You know, maybe the path forward is I I'm going to turn down the nozzle a bit on litigation and try and be more of just a transactional attorney as I go into the future.
0: So for people that don't know, I'm I'm going to infer here, and then you can of course correct me if I'm totally wrong. But litigation tends to be ongoing for a longer period of time and require a fairly large amount of time day in day out as you do preparation and you go back and forth with the other side and all that. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Versus transactional law where you could, say, sit down for a few hours and bang out a will or a contract or, or something else. Yeah, um, That's more kind of like a uh, – it's a transaction. I mean, that's why it's transactional law. It's, it's done fairly shortly. So I could see where that would be maybe a, a conflict in terms of time. So d- do you enjoy doing litigation still?
1: Um, I do with the right client and the right facts. I don't enjoy it just for the hell of it. You know, what I mean, there's some people that just want to litigate litigate anything, and I've gotten more choosy.
0: Would and, you say that you've been able to be more choosy because of your client base and because of you know making this successful practice?
1: Yeah, I, I think that gives me options that some people wouldn't have. But some people, I don't think it's a question of options. They just want to get in court and argue cases. And <laughs> sure. And to me, it's more of a, like, when a client comes in with the right case, um, then I'm more inclined to do it. Interestingly, I'm much more often defending than prosecuting cases. Um, uh, and I think that's kind of my nature because I'm not a big fan of litigation for most people. But when I have a client that's got someone coming after them for something that they didn't do wrong and they're trying to make a big deal out of it, I I can get my uh, my back up and, and defend that. But uh, it, it is... Um, I'm just kind of, I guess I'm workshopping this idea on your podcast, but it is becoming increasingly um, clear to me that with the number of transactional clients and work I have, that there is a limit to how much of that litigation I can do. And I'm not sure how much of it's going to go with me into the future.
0: Hmm. And is that tricky to phase out of doing that? Or is it just come down to kind of turning down some cases and then you just stop getting that work i'm not really sure how
1: that works yeah i think that's it but it's not it's like also like turning a battleship you can't just like say okay i'm done doing that now because you've got stuff in process sure and honestly i don't think i'm ever going to be completely out of it because a lot of my clients i'm the guy they're the they trust me they want me to do their case for them and i'll do some litigation for them but uh, where before i would i i have taken on some pretty large trials in the past. And I think some of the bigger ones that I used to do, I just don't have time to do now unless I want to go down the road of like taking out more space and hiring associates and all this other stuff that uh, the idea to me is just abhorrent.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask and you answered it right there. So when did you get the office space? I don't know. I'm sorry if I missed that. No, I didn't. I'd say I'd have to
1: like take oh, okay. down a bunch of space.
0: So your address right now is not really a, like a formal office yeah. kind of thing. It's more just yeah. a business address. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah and it, so I think you're saying then that you don't have an interest in becoming a manager. Like you, you like yeah. practicing law, and that doesn't mean employing other people. Yeah, but you would have to do that if you were to support a growing practice in the way that you're talking about. That makes
1: sense. And I just like the relationship. I have a very intimate relationship with my clients. I mean, they know that when they hire me, I'm the guy who does the work and makes the decisions. And I'm just not willing to offload that. I, I am. Um, a friend of mine told me that I am self-reliant to a fault, and I'm sure that's true. Um, yeah, I could probably make more money if I hired people and did things like that, but I just can't bring myself to do it.
0: Does that come from your parents, do you think? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> just tying it back to what you said about them being depression-era kids and maybe that uh, not relying on other people. I don't know if that's part of it or not. But Yeah, you know. it
1: may be. It's also just a control freak. You
0: know? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so given that you are apparently a control freak, though, how do you maintain balance in your life and not let these different pieces of your life control you so that you're not spending enough time with your family?
1: That's a tough call. I mean, I don't think... I don't think that's a problem that you solve and then you're done. I think it's a constant struggle.
0: Is it a matter of reminding yourself just that you have to put your work aside, for example? Even if it's a client that you really enjoy and you're enjoying the case or you're enjoying the transaction, is it just, okay, now it's time to set it aside? Because a lot of people, when they work remote or work for themselves or work from home, there's a really hard time dividing that line or finding that line. How do you do that?
1: I, you know, I, I do have to, I have to remind myself, I mean, like tonight's a good example. I have a, tomorrow I'm going to be taking a, 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 big deposition on a case. So I've been preparing for it, you know, all day, you know, putting together, re- reviewing evidence, getting everything together. And, um, uh, we're recording this on May the 4th, right? You know, yes. I'm a big Star Wars fan and my kids had a, both, you know, had funny stories where my older daughter works and my younger daughter goes to school and they wanted to talk about all their May the 4th be with you stories and. And uh, I knew I had a podcast and I had seven and like five thirty, I said, okay, we're going to Chipotle, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I just put everything down the me and my wife and two children went out together and had a nice meal for an hour and talked and it was nice, you know, but I guess that's an example of me trying to, to bring balance. You know, we try to do stuff together, you know, but, but I do work hard too.
0: Of course, but they still perceive a difference and they still appreciate this change you've made.
1: Oh yeah, in a lot of ways I'm a lot more present now because you know whenever you have a job where you have to get up every day and put on a, you know, suity suit and go to the office, that you're out of their lives for however long that's going to take, you know, from the moment you leave in the morning till when you get back in the evening and frankly even after you get back an hour or two before you completely decompress. Whereas now, they're stuck with me. I'm around here. I mean, <laughs> My, um, my wife and I take a walk every day and, uh, you know, and my older daughter and I go to Starbucks once or twice a week and we may just sit next to each other with laptops and do work, but you know, I'm more in her life than I was because of it, you know? And, um, that's a good thing.
0: This is a hypothetical and maybe you can't answer it, but do you feel like it would have been possible to do this if your kids were younger? Because I'm trying to imagine if the kids are around the house, for example, especially in the summer, that it might be more challenging to kind of turn that side of your life off and focus on work. Or do you think you could have done that anyway?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to. I, I do know that because of um, this thing I've been doing for years with Max Sparky, they know that when I go into the room with the computer on and I shut the door, there's a good chance I'm recording a podcast or a screencast. Uh, or sure. writing a book. So um they 're all kind of conditioned you know to leave me alone, yeah, you set a precedent, yeah, and my kids now are old enough that uh they 're just fine if I stay out of their hair for <laughs> several hours, you know, and they 'd probably prefer it so i that that is certainly i 'm at a point in life where this is something that 's a lot more possible, I think if they were toddlers, I think it would be harder.
0: Yeah. That is kind of what I was getting at then is that it, it did work out for you in a lot of, a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. But I do feel like where you were at in your life with your family is probably a part of that from the outside. Anyway, it sounds like it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the other day, did I make a mistake staying with the firm for 20 years? Is this something I should have done 10 years ago? And I kind of can't help but feel like kind of everything just happens for a reason and it worked out. So I'm not going to, About it too much.
0: When did you start doing the Max Sparky thing? Do you know the year?
1: 2007 was when it really kind of got rolling.
0: Okay, so yeah, I guess if you're talking about 10 years earlier, it would have been the Max Sparky would have started a little bit afterwards, so. I again from the outside, I feel like it might have been challenging to start a business on your own and then also do this stuff on the side, you know. Yeah, because you would yep. have been ten years shorter of experience and clients and all that. But who knows? Like you said,
1: oh, you're right. There seems yeah. to
0: have been a very good confluence of events that that kind of led to this, which is fascinating to me. I mean, it, it it seems like there are so many things that go into making these big career changes and decisions. And I don't know. Everybody's story is so interesting. So,
1: what does an average day, if there is such a thing, look like for you now? Yeah, it is real difficult for me to tell you because they always change. I, I am I'm a bit of a shut in in a lot of ways. I, I go out. I try to clump appointments with clients or court appearances or whatever into a couple days a week, so I don't have to get up and go out every day. And uh, so a stay home day ideally is me waking up about seven going through you know, my OmniFocus database, my email, some of my tasks in my email to kind of get an eye, my head around what I'm going to get, get done that day. And I really like to do uh, burst work sessions. So I'll set a timer for like 50 minutes and pick one big project and just say, okay, this is it. 50 minutes. I'm going to get through this and take a break. Maybe go down. I've got a garden now. It's another thing that's changed. go down, pull some weeds for 10 or 15 minutes and go back up and do another session and Hopefully get, you know, somewhere between five and seven of those out a day of those, you know, those bursts. And so that's that's kind of a home day. And then when I'm out, uh, usually those days are very anti-productive, you know, in terms of getting a lot of work done. But it's, you know, meeting with clients or doing whatever. so
0: Which is certainly part of work, too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's part exactly. of keeping your business going and making that contact. Yeah but uh if you've got a list of tasks it could be frustrating when you have to spend time doing that too i get i get it
1: and i alternate those bursts like i right now i'm getting ready to release a big screencast i've been working on for a while and you know maybe in a day four bursts will be law, and three will be a video project I'm working on or something. So I I alternate, which allows me to kind of move things around, and it's kind of fun to change gears.
0: Yeah. Do you feel more mentally refreshed day in, day out, being able to do that versus your life before where you had to spend all day in the office or in trial or or whatever? Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. To intersperse things. Well, you have more control over your life. I mean, that's something that everybody yearns for. I mean... I mean, no matter where you work, no matter how nice the people are, you still got to go to a bunch of meetings and deal with, you know, what kind of paper are we going to order or whatever the question of the day is. And that stuff just doesn't exist for me anymore.
0: Everything comes back in my mind often to how we're raised and right or wrong. I could be totally wrong, but this is something I feel like, um, the previous generations maybe couldn't have even thought about this idea of having so much agency and control in your life because previously, usually like your dad's case or, or somebody who went to work for a big company, like a GM or, or whatever you went there every day, you went there for 40 years or whatever you retired with a pension. That was it. You didn't have nearly the control and agency that is possible maybe today. Yeah. So, It's just it's so interesting to hear you articulate that that you've totally seized that and you're happier and just more productive as a result and you're able to do all these different things in your life and you're
1: able to be in charge and in control of all of them, which is amazing and really cool and inspiring too. Well, you know, I'm flying without a net, but you know, in hindsight, I was probably always flying without a net. I mean, it's not like the old days. If for some reason that old firm it didn't make sense to keep me anymore, they wouldn't have just kept me around for the you know, goodness of their heart. No, <laughs> yeah. and um, so it really is no different. Except I feel like I have more control now, and the mistakes that get made are mine. You know, I get to make the mistakes and and deal with them, which is so. both
0: empowering and a little scary. Probably, yeah,
1: it is. But man, I love it so much. I I told my wife, I said, I got to make this work because I can't go back. I just couldn't. The idea to me, someone said, okay uh, nobody buys your books anymore. And what, for whatever reason, you got to put a suit on every day and go into an office with a bunch of other lawyers. Honestly, I think I'd go dig ditches or something. I just <laughs> don't know that I could do it.
0: And that's because you've tasted this other side, this other life that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's awesome to hear you talk about it like that. And I, I'm reminded I, Dan Benjamin, um, a five by five on his quit show or grit or whatever it was called at the time. I remember he really made this point that I really absorbed, which is that you think you're in control or sorry, you think that you're safe when you work for somebody else, but you're never safe and it's always an illusion. And you're always exactly as you described flying without a net. And I think that that's something people don't like to think about, but I think you're totally right that it's, that's definitely the case and that going out and doing something on your own isn't necessarily more risky.
1: I don't know that those jobs exist anymore, where you do forty years and get the gold watch and everybody's happy. I just don't know that those even exist.
0: Not that I'm aware of, really. Okay. <laughs> and certainly, there isn't the opportunity for monetary compensation and advancement like there once was, because you know the world is just so much more competitive now, and yeah. you have to you have to make your mark and all that. So, yeah, I mean, it's what what people are doing. And I, I interviewed Sean Blanc. Um, way it must've been like six months ago. And his story is very similar to yours in a lot of ways. And and just how he leveraged things that he had been doing previously to make a new career for himself. And, and I think that you guys have a lot in common in that way. And it's really cool.
1: I think, you know, somebody told me, they're like, wow, I really admire the plan you executed to pull all this off. And, and I had to break the news to him that there really wasn't much of a plan. I, I do think I have good instincts and, um, but a lot of it is just, you know, follow your bliss kind of stuff. Hippie nonsense that most people are not <laughs> going to appreciate, but it, it is part of it. The stuff
0: I, that you call bumbling through
1: life, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I love being a lawyer, especially with the kind of stuff I'm doing now. A lot of my clients are like software companies and little little companies that just need someone looking over their shoulder to make sure they don't get completely screwed, which is what big companies want to do to little companies all the time. So I I, ha- I get fulfillment out of helping them. And then... The same thing with Max Sparky If I get emails from people all over the world telling me how, you know, some little tip I gave them saved them time so they can go home sooner, I'm like, I mean, how lucky am I that I get to help so many people on different, you know, levels?
0: If you could go back in time and tell yourself something before you did this, can you think of something that you would tell yourself? Like,
1: would you warn yourself about anything if you could? Um, I think I would say. you know, I would tell myself to be a little bit more trusting that it's going to work out. I mean, one of the things you do when you first go out on your own is you say yes to everything. And this is, for me, both careers, you know, both legal and sparky stuff. I mean, you agree to do a lot of stuff because you're just, you're looking at the family and you're like, I got to, you know, if I don't work, these people don't eat. So, you say yes to everything, and, and that I think can you can dig yourself in a hole, and it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole when you're first getting started, and you've got so much commitment. So, um, I should have said no a little bit more when I first started. Um, but you know, it's only been a year, and it's a learning process. So I'm not going to be too hard on myself.
0: Sure, that's probably a good idea. I mean, is it just are you talking about just certain types of transactional law, maybe or? Or just you
1: know certain cases that come in. And you're like, okay, uh, this is sure. going to be a big deal, and I'm like, uh, should I do it? Well, it would be you know, it's what we need, and you know, it, and it's not even just legal stuff. It's it's uh, accepting projects too. I also, in addition to um, to doing videos that I sell myself, I also do videos for companies. You know, they'll hire me to make the video on how to run their software, and you know, just just all sorts of commitments. There there is an abundance of opportunity, and if you take it all then you may dig yourself in the hole. So I guess that'd be the advice. Be careful about that.
0: So how do you evaluate those opportunities then? Because I I guess I didn't even realize you had this other component to your business in which you make videos for other people. So you have clients that are not just your legal clients. You have service clients. So how do you manage that Workload, like how do you see far out enough in advance to know this is going to be something that you should avoid? That's
1: just a boondoggle or whatever. Some, sometimes I do it really well, and sometimes I do it really <laughs> poorly. <laughs> and you add to that that I have a litigation practice, which means even though I have everything mapped out, you may have a judge say, "Oh, by the way, I need you for two weeks starting next week." You know, so um, it, it is. Uh, it's quite exciting at times. I'm getting better at it. Let's just put it that way.
0: Uh, obviously, this has gone really well for you, and you're really happy with how everything is. But are there parts of the day to day running of a business like this that you don't like and you wish you didn't have to worry about
1: uh, I need to get better you know getting back to that control freak thing um there are so many options out there for like um remote assistance and you know just there there's things I could be doing now that aren't using my brain to be a lawyer or using my brain to make books or videos or whatever that is more grunt work. And I need to find a way to offload some of that. And it's a, you know, I think it's a question of finding the right people and you know, what is the stuff that I can send off. But I'm so busy in the weeds, I haven't really had time to give that question the thought it needs before I can take action on it. So i am kind of built my own box here. But, the, um, but that's, it, it's in the back of my mind. And I know that once I get under from some deadlines that I'm working on right now, uh, I think I'm going to figure that out eventually, too.
0: So that's, I think, a question of balance there, too, is being that you are the only guy, (laughs) you know, it's 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 you who's making everything happen. How do you find the time to be more strategic about where you're going to take your business? Because some things you can kind of let happen and and be organic. But when it comes to doing the types of things you're talking about, which is to step out of certain parts of a business, you do kind of have to think through that and make some decisions. So how do you pull yourself out of the weeds? (laughs)
1: Uh, I, I, I'm thinking about it constantly, Eric, you know, it's, you know, this indie whole indie thing for me has become just one more obsession. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about, well, what should I be doing here? Or what clients do I say yes and no to, you know, like I'm applying my, you know, my nerd ethic to these problems. So I, I guess I am finding time for it because I just think about it always and, and usually come up with a few decisions. Like you know, this whole thing of litigation versus transactional law. I, I just, for instance, handed off a, a litigation case this week to an attorney friend, and he says, "What are you crazy? What? This was a good case. It's going to be really valuable. You know, how come you're not doing this yourself?" And I said, "Well, I have other opportunities I want to pursue. I mean, I'm going to lose money intentionally as a lawyer with the idea that I can do more content as Max Barkey and." maybe make that money up i don't know but i just it's just like something i feel like i need to get out of my system and do anyway and um and so because of the two careers i make a decision that doesn't necessarily make sense to just someone who just did law you know so i I think i'm taking steps along those lines that that was a very long answer to a a simple question i'm taking steps about that every day and just kind of testing the waters and see how it works
0: okay that makes sense is it been a discussion at all to have your wife kind of take on anything? I feel like that's a fairly common thing that happens when, when one sp- a spouse or partner starts a business, the other one kind of chips in, or maybe she does some of that already that i'm we haven't talked about.
1: Um, she doesn't really have much involvement with it as an ex but she's so helpful with like the family. Like, my, my younger daughter is at a, an art school that's about 30 minutes from our house. You know, she sings opera, she's really great, and um. Like, just getting her there. I mean, we have carpools and stuff, but there's just tons of like rehearsals and things. And my wife deals with that. My wife is also coordinating the Orange County uh, App Camp for Girls. So she's like doing charity stuff. Oh, and, fantastic. Yeah. And so she's got her hands full already. And it's again, it's a thing like, what is the stuff I could really hand off to her? I can't hand off any legal stuff because that's, you know, really privileged between me and my clients. And the Max Sparky stuff, like, there's not too much business stuff there i i've got it managed you know there's a bunch of email that i try to keep up with but she can't answer email for me because people are writing me not her you know sure. so so we kind of came to the idea of you know the best way she can help me out is you know by doing what she does and, and not relying on me too much for that stuff and that gives me more time you know to do my thing so no oh, it makes sense I, I was just, I was a friend of mine. I mean, I'm getting all hippie on you, but a friend of no, mine that's totally good. just got married, you know, and, and he was asking advice and he says, well, you've been married a long time. What's your advice? And my advice is allow her to be her own person, you know, let her pursue her interests and you don't have to do everything together. And that sounds weird, but my wife and I are good about that. You know, we, we give each other space and it, it works. I don't know.
0: No, it, it makes perfect sense to me. I, I totally buy it. So I'll, I'll buy any hippie stuff you want to give me. <laughs> it's excellent. Do you feel successful? This is a question I ask, I think, all my guests. Like, if you were, if somebody was to ask you that, like I just did, honestly, what's your first reaction and your
1: first answer? I'd say yes. I mean, to me, um, I, I'm not going to become a gazillionaire, you know, retire in Hawaii kind of guy. But that wasn't going to happen to me where I was before either. And um, I'm doing what I love. And I'm making a living at it, and I'm able to you know meet my commitments and take care of my family. I don't know what the future holds, but right now is um, I I don't wake up every day saying today I'm going to quit my job.
0: Which you did uh, to remind listeners for a while yeah. there. It sounds like that was something yeah. always on your mind. Yeah, and that says something for sure. And actually, I think that that leads to a follow up question. What you just mentioned about the future, where do you see the future of uh, law? Going in terms of technology, do you think that the type of thing that you're doing, where you're offering Skype consultations and you know via email or whatever, do you feel like that's going to catch on a little bit? Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very appealing to me as a younger person. I'm I'm 31. Uh, it's very appealing to me because the idea of going to an office to talk to an attorney and just find somebody or whatever is kind of scary. But if it's somebody, oh wow, I've, I I've know of them on the internet. That actually, for whatever reason, feels good. So.
1: Yeah, it I I think it's going to work for me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future holds. I hope that the things I do as Max Barkey are still interesting enough that people want to support me with that stuff. Because I I could see myself being an 80-year-old man and still writing, you know, JavaScript. It's just, you know, it's just in my blood. <laughs> um and and frankly, I'd like to be an 80-year-old man and still advising people, you know, about, you know, keeping them out of trouble. I mean, it is so hard. I didn't say earlier, but you know, I didn't intend to be a business lawyer, but the reason why it was so immediately attractive to me is because it's so hard. Um, People trying to make a living and they make these little businesses and the whole world is trying to crush them. I mean, small businesses that compete are trying to crush them. Big companies want to crush them. The government wants to crush them. Everybody's after you, you know, and it really feels like a David Goliath thing. And I, I like rolling up my sleeves and helping them get through that.
0: And you like helping the David, not the Goliath, in that situation, to be
1: clear. Yeah, I, I always see myself as David in this game.
0: <laughs> you're, you're a guy who roots for the underdog and tries to, to help out the underdog. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Anything else you want to add that we haven't covered? I mean, we managed to be really efficient, I think. This is, <laughs> this is a great story, and I would encourage everybody to check out Max Sparky. Um, and your URL is sparksesk.com as in ESQ, as in Esquire. So yeah. Sparks Esquire with ESQ.com. You can Google David Sparks law and I'm sure people will find it. Um, and your podcast is great. Mac power users. You've got a lot of stuff going on your screencasts. Anything else you want to talk about?
1: Uh, you know, I would just add that if you're listening to this, it's okay to have the days when you do this and you think that you just suck at this and it'll never work. I mean, I had one of those days last week. It, it doesn't matter how good it goes. You're going to have days like that. And, um, just, you know, hang at it. It's, I I don't know, it just feels to me like we're at an inflection point where this type of a career is possible where it wasn't before. And, you know, we're at the front end of this thing and it's great. I'm glad to be part of it.
0: And I completely agree. And that's, what's so fascinating is it's definitely, it's an inflection point for sure. And I'm not really sure where it's going either uh, because you wonder, well, how many, uh, how many people can possibly do this on their own? And, and go out and start their own law firms or, or write their own blogs like Sean Blanc does and all these products. But yet there are a lot of people in the world and there's a big audience for it. And, you know, sooner or later, somebody's going to need a lawyer at, at some point in their life. So that's when the David sparks are there for them, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, do you so. look at yourself as being competitive with the traditional approach to law or do you feel like you're kind of carving out a new niche? I'll make that my last
1: question. Yeah. I, I feel like um, those guys are in molasses. They're like in quicksand. And I just feel like I'm so much more agile than them. I mean, there's things they can do that I can't. I can't take up. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm self-selecting myself out of big litigation cases, because I don't have a team of associates I can throw at something. But, the, um, but just for the kind of law I'm doing, I don't know how they could ever compete with me.
0: Sure so that's that is really interesting that you are actually able to be more competitive because of how agile you can be and cheap, I assume you know your overhead, I imagine is a lot lower than the overhead at a bigger firm sure, sure, and you give the personal service that people like and I mean you seem to be in a pretty ideal position, so
1: yeah, yeah, that's fantastic it, it, but you know it is a bandwidth issue at some point you know you have to decide who do you work with and that. It's nice when you get to the point where you can start, you know, I'm sure you talked about this on your other shows, but it, it, it is a, that's a whole separate discussion. I could go on that for an hour.
0: <laughs> and in the interest of, of, I guess not keeping you for another hour, cause I'm sure that you'd want to go hang out with your family and do other things. I can definitely let you go. But thank you so much for sharing your story with me. And, uh, I look forward to posting it.
1: Thanks, Eric.